Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Exodus chapter 19 this morning. We are in a series through the book of Exodus. And so um, you can read it in your Bible on your device. It'll be on the screen as well. I encourage you to do it uh, from your lap if you need to. Um, On the screen right now will be some verses I'm gonna use throughout the morning. Just so you can see, I'm not making this up. This is in scripture. This is in the Bible, God's word to us. And so I want you to be able to see that. So if you wanna write these verses down, take a picture of it so you can remember it and study it throughout the next week. But I just want you to see it. Uh, I'm gonna read through Exodus 19, all of it, the whole chapter. I know it's a lot. We can, we can do it together. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go as fast as I can. We're gonna read through it. Uh, then I wanna pray. And then I wanna give us some context around this passage. There's gonna be a word in here that if you've grown up in church, um, you've, got, you've got a conception about what this passage is about. That I think there's gonna be a shift today if you're comfortable with it, but I think I can root that in the entire narrative of scripture so you don't feel like I'm a complete heretic. And so we're gonna do that here this morning. Exodus chapter 19, we're gonna begin in verse one. On the third new moon, meaning the third month, the third new month after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. 
And also let priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And, and the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. And so Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a celebration of what you are doing in this place, in this community, and among these people. God, what a gift it is to be a part of what you're doing here. Thank you for your word. Pray that you open our ears to hear what you have for us, our hearts to believe it, and our minds to understand it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me give us some um, context about what's happening first for those of you who haven't been around. Um, God's people, the Israelites or the Hebrews, were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And God miraculously delivered them through 10 mighty acts. They're called plagues. You saw Charlton Heston do them. And he delivered them uh, through these mighty acts and set them free into now we see them traveling in the wilderness on their way to what he promised to them of the promised land or the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's promised that to them. But in order to get there, they have to go through the wilderness. They've crossed through the Red Sea. God parted the waters miraculously. He has miraculously provided for them water, uh, sweet water from a bitter stream. He's provided bread from heaven called manna. He's provided water from a rock. He has provided for them over and over and over again, and they're on their way. Now, this whole narrative is now coming to a screeching halt in chapter 19. The rest of the book of Exodus will take place right here at Mount Sinai. Everything else happens here. So it's important that we pay attention to what's happening. So that's the text of what we're looking at this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe you have people, you've, you've heard about people, people have told you stories about certain people, they've talked to you about who they are, and then you meet that person, and that person is nothing like what the other person told you that person was like. Has that happened to you? And you're like, this is the same person? Because you, you told me how awful of a person this was, and I just really enjoyed my time with them. So either that means I'm also an awful person, or you were way off of what you just explained. Or it's worse when they really oversell who a person is, especially when you're playing sports and they oversell them because they want them on the team with you. And then you get to the softball game and they're like, yeah, I played college ball. And then you get out there like, what ball did you play in college? <laughs> college bocce ball? Because this is not what's happening here. Well, sometimes with God, this, is, uh, this happens for us. So many of us, we've heard about God but there's something particular and peculiar that happens when you actually read the Bible about God, isn't there? Like you can hear all day long about him, but then you read about him and you actually meet him and you're like, gosh, he is, this is not what I thought you told me or what uh, I interpreted him to be. Particularly this happens here in, in the Old Testament and here in Exodus chapter 19. So there's, we do this thing in the church where there's an Old Testament God and then there's a New Testament God. Have you ever experienced this? You feel like you have to explain away the Old Testament God? You have to like defend him for being so angry all the time. You feel like you're like, ah, listen, if you're a new Christian, don't start back there because it gets really angry there. It's like when you have kids and you're out in public with your baby for the, you know, or maybe toddlers and they start whining and just throwing a fit. And what do you say, moms? You say, oh, she's just tired. That's what you say. No, mama, she's a brat and you took her in public and this is what's happened. Stay home until she's 25 and then get back out and we'll see if we can figure out how to do this. So what I wanna do this morning is I want to absolve us from having to defend Old Testament God because he's not who you think that he is. It's not like God all of a sudden has a child and then he changes his personality like the rest of us. This, 
The God in the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. There is no shadow of turning with him. This is who he is. But we miss it a lot of times because we only hear what people say about him instead of actually reading the Bible about what God says about himself. So I wanna put all this in context. Exodus is the second book of a five-part series called the Pentateuch or the Torah. So it begins back in Genesis. Genesis one and two, those two chapters, God creates the world and everything is as it should be. The word that God uses is good. It is good. It's a Hebrew word meaning it's, it's holy good with a W, holy good. Everything is perfect. On the seventh day, he rests and he tells Adam uh, to tell his wife Eve, hey, there's a tree. I've given you hundreds of trees, but there's one tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And what I've learned is that I'm a lot like Adam and Eve because I wouldn't have even seen the tree until you told me not to eat from that tree. Anybody else? Like if you, if you put a sign up, like don't fish from here, I wouldn't even have thought about fishing until you put that sign up. And now I wanna go fish from the balcony in that lake at your hotel. Now I want to do that. I would have never thought about it until you put the sign up. So this is what's happening. And so they, there's this tree, uh, Satan comes in, the enemy comes in and tempts them and they eat from the tree and immediately they recognize their brokenness. The Bible says they recognize their nakedness, their vulnerability before each other and before God. And they run and they hide. But what we've learned about God in, in Genesis 1 and 2 is that he is, he is a generous, good God who has provided hundreds of trees for them. It's just one they can't eat from. But in their shame and their guilt, they run. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says, They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So a few things here. That word cool is the Hebrew word ruach, which means wind or breath or spirit. So the Old Testament written in Hebrew, this word means that there must have been some time of day in the garden where God walked with Adam and Eve, literally walked with them. So this is that time of the day apparently and the Lord has come to walk with them. There's two words I want you to pay attention here. The first word is the word heard. This is the Hebrew word shema. Say shema. Shema, good. Now, in the Hebrew, there aren't different words for listen and obey. It's all one word. It's a lot like how I try to lead my house. It's one word. If I say it, you obey it. My kids are like, no, nah, two different words. I heard you. I ain't doing that. I'm like, well, listen, shema then. You should shema what I'm saying. But, so shema is, it wraps up. If hear and obey. It's all wrapped up together. The assumption in the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, is that if you hear God, you obey him. That's the assumption. So here's the word here. They heard, they shemad, the sound. Here's another word. This word sound is also translated voice. So some of your translations say they heard the voice of God or they heard the sound of God. These are two important things that'll come back up. So they heard him in the cool of the day. Verse nine, and the Lord God called out to the man saying, where are you? Now that's rhetorical because we know that God knows, right? I mean, that's rhetorical. It's like parents, you do this all the time. But he calls out, where are you? Then pay attention to this in verse 10. And he said, Adam said, I heard, I shamad the sound, the voice of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, because I was vulnerable, and I hid myself. At this moment, the fall of mankind, and we continue to live in this, in this fall, this brokenness, our response instinctively in sin, in brokenness, is not to run to God, but to run from God and to hide from him. And in the moments that we hear the sound, the voice of God through his word, through a song, through a church service, through conviction, our instinct is to run and hide just like Adam and Eve did. 
And it continues that man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. So I want you to remember that because that moment sets the tone for the rest of scripture. It sets the tone for the rest of humanity and it tells us a lot about God. God is pursuing relationship. They didn't pursue him, he pursued them. He ran after them. He wants relationship. And what's happened from that brokenness is God is continually seeking to bring us back to the cool of the day. He's continually bringing us back trying to bring us back to where we walked with him. So keep that in mind as we go back into Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, verse one, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. If you're paying attention, this journey is just one wilderness to the next. And maybe you feel that way in your own life. This is the journey of the Israelites in freedom. Verse two, they set out from Rephidim, and Rephidim means place of rest or resting places. And they came to the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped. So now they set up camp in the wilderness. And Israel encamped there before the mountain. What mountain? Well, depending on uh, perspective, it could be Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, same mountain. This is where everything will happen in the rest of the book of Exodus. This is where the 10 commandments come down. This is where um, Moses sees the glory of God. All of this happens here at this important mountain. But then look at verse three. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and the people of Israel. Now he uses the phrase house of Jacob because Jacob um, was a forefather of the Jewish faith and he had 12 sons, one of them named Joseph who got the technicolor dream coat. Joseph ends up being sold into slavery and he himself ends up in Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, a famine hits the land of Egypt and where the people of God are and they run to Egypt to be fed and they end up staying there for 430 years. So that's why they're referred to here uh, in such a way. But he says, and the people of Israel, verse four, here's what you should tell them. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God begins a preamble to the law that he will give, him in chapter, give them in chapter 20. And he begins with, don't forget who I am because it's, it's about to get different and I want you to remember that I am for you. I rescued you, I delivered you and I did it on eagles' wings. Now what's unique about eagles is other birds carry their young in their talons or with their beak. Eagles carry their young on their wings. So what God is saying is I didn't have to poke and bite, I carried you. What you've experienced was me carrying you on my wings here. And so he's saying, I've brought you out, don't forget. I've already rescued you, I've already redeemed you, I've already saved you. Now we're gonna have to take another step in our relationship. We have to DTR, right now we're gonna DTR. We're gonna have to define the relationship at this very moment. Verse five, now therefore, because of what I've done, because I've saved you, because I've rescued you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So this phrase, indeed obey, is the Hebrew word shema, back to back. Shema, shema. So he's making sure. Here's the, ne- here's the next phase in our relationship. If you listen and obey, and I mean listen and obey, that's what he says. If you hear and obey me, my word, and you keep our covenant, keep our agreement, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. What God is saying is, I've got a plan for you. And remember, at this point, it's 2.1 million Israelites. 
And God is saying, I've got a plan and I'm trying to draw you in. You'll be my treasured people. You'll be special to me. Then, uh, but notice what he says. If you will indeed obey my voice, and he's speaking to all of them, if you will obey my voice, and that's the same word for sound back in Genesis chapter three. Verse six, if you do this, you'll be a treasure possession and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests, this is a completely unique idea in the world at this time. There were priests. God hasn't instituted his priests yet, but he kind of did. Back in Genesis or Exodus 18, we didn't finish this last week. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes into town and he sees Moses working and just working too hard. Which, listen, if you want your father-in-law to see you doing anything, let him see you working too hard. I just take that for what it's worth. Don't let him see you not working. Let him see you working too hard. And so he sees Moses working too hard and he says, hey, listen, this is not good. Moses is really fielding questions, counseling, uh, helping, doing all kinds of things for every 2.1 million people doing all of it. And he says, listen, why don't you divide them up into groups and then place trusted men over them? This is the beginning of the idea of a priesthood, kind of the idea where you would have particular groups of people that you were responsible for. Now, that's great leadership and you can take it out of context and write leadership books about it all day long if you want to. But in context, it's telling us something is happening here. Leadership is moving out of Moses' hand and is getting into the people. So when God says, you'll be a kingdom of priests to me, here's what he's saying. A priest is someone who shows the world what God is like. They mediate on behalf of people and God. That's what a priest does. And what God says is, I want 2.1 million priests. That's what I want. I wanna make you an entire kingdom of people who are set apart and devoted to me in such a way that when the world looks at you, they know my heart. That's what I want. I'm gonna make you, if you just listen and obey, I mean, listen and obey, keep the covenant. You'll be my treasured possession and I'm gonna make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, set apart nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people. This is important. Verse seven, Moses came and called the elders of the people. So probably, the people probably the elders were the ones from chapter 18 over the groups of people. And he set before them all these words the Lord God had commanded him. And all the people answered together. So essentially God says, will you marry me? Will you agree to this? And all the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said, yes. They said, we're in. Yes, if that's what you're asking of us, we're in. And so Moses goes back up to tell the Lord. Then verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear. The 2.1 million people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. And then when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, they said, yes, God, they said, yes, they're all in. The Lord said to Moses, okay, next step, go back down. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Okay, they've said yes. Here's the next phase. Go down and consecrate them. And then Moses said, what does consecrate mean? And I'm like, good question, Moses. Consecrate means to set apart or to make clean. That's what consecrate means. To set apart for an intended use. Other translations say, he tells Moses to go down and prepare the people for my arrival. The commentator Matthew Henry says this is to call them off from their worldly business and call them to religious exercises. 
to meditation and prayer that they may receive the law from God's mouth with reverence and devotion. So he says, go down and set this kingdom of priests, set them aside, set them apart for an intended purpose. But then verse 11, and be ready for the third day. Does that phrase sound familiar? The third day, does that sound familiar to you? So the third day is important for us in the New Testament. It's the day on which Jesus rose. He was crucified. He rose on the third day. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's important. But in this context, that hasn't happened yet. But what is important is that the third day has been mentioned from Genesis to this point in Exodus. And it's always a day of decision or a day of reckoning. This is always the third day. It's used, um, remember when Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish and he gets vomited back out onto the land? It's the third day that he's vomited back out and he has a decision to make. Do I continue on the mission towards Nineveh or do I run? More apropos for us is in Genesis chapter 22. God calls Abraham, the father of many nations. He's given him a son named Isaac. And in Genesis 22, he calls Abraham to take Isaac up a mountain and to sacrifice him. Now, God would provide a substitute, but this is all that Abraham knows. And scripture reads in Genesis chapter 22, on the third day, Abraham took Isaac up the mountain. Abraham had a decision to make. Even though it looks weird, I don't trust it. The reckoning is, will you obey God or will you not obey God? So on the third day, on the third day, he says, watch for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 12, you shall set limits for the people all around the mountain saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot. Not like with a gun, with a bow and arrow. The Hebrew is he shall be shot through. So let your imagination run wild. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So here's what's gonna get interesting for us. This boundary around the mountain was only intended to last for three days. Now, we've missed out on something because what we've been taught for most of our lives, we've grown up in churches, this is how God always works. You stay at a distance. Old Testament God says, you stay at a distance, I'm gonna stay up here. When I send Jesus, we'll be friends again. But for right now, you stand at a distance. Well, listen, he says, when the trumpet sounds in verse 13, you shall come up to the mountain. Do your translation say up to the mountain? All right. So here's how translations work. We find um, Dead Sea Scrolls, we find whatever, not we like me, but other people that I say we, because it sounds like we made this cake. I didn't make the cake, she made the cake. So they go and find all these Dead Sea Scrolls, they find uh, texts or whatever. And the job of the translators is to take it from Hebrew or Greek, the New Testament, into English or whatever language, English for us. And so there's a, um, there's a spectrum of translations and some are word for word translations. There's the Hebrew word, they put the English word in. Very hard to read because it doesn't really make any sense grammatically for us. On the other end of the spectrum are more paraphrases. Think of the Message Bible or even like a New Living Translation where they'll take um, the ideas of the, the Hebrew text and then they'll make it into more common English. In the middle are the ones that you and I mostly read. And what they do here is they'll take a word that they can't quite figure out and then they'll keep reading and then they'll take this understanding from a few chapters later and they'll drop it into this passage to give us what we read. And I don't say this to make you distrust your Bible. This very rarely happens. It kind of happens more as we learn more about the Hebrew language. 
These word-for-word -word translations that are situated like, doesn't make sense grammatically, but it's word-for-word. -word. This word here, instead of up, up to the mountain, the word is Allah in Hebrew, which means to ascend or climb or go up the mountain. It's only used to, to say go up or ascend. It's never used to say up to. So here's what I wanna to offer to you this morning. I believe that God is actually inviting the people into relationship with him. That's what I believe. And I believe that based on previous text and text after this. I believe what's happening right here is God is saying, I'm coming down. I'm gonna say this so everyone hears. On the third day, listen for the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, come to me. Consecrate yourself for three days. Set yourself apart. Prepare yourself for worship. And then on the third day, when that trumpet blares, man, come to me. You got a, you got a decision, the day of reckoning. You got a decision to make. So let's keep that here uh, in context. There's a signal, which is the trumpet. When the trumpet happens, when the trumpet sounds, you come up to me. The context is the end of chapter 18. He's made a bunch of people. The context is I want a kingdom of priests. Verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. And think about how unique that would have been traveling in the wilderness. You're not every day throwing clothes in the laundry. This is unique. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Good advice, high school boys. I'm just saying don't. <laughs> but what this, this, this has to do with um, sexual intercourse and how that would have been, made them unclean. Um, that's all I need to say. <laughs> I think we've done enough work. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings, plural, and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So if you're reading and you know when the trumpet blasts, now the people should rush the mountain like you do on Black Friday at Walmart. This should happen. We should all rush in to meet God. The trumpet blasts. So this is the moment. This is the moment of reckoning where they should come to God. But the people trembled. They heard the sound of the Lord God and they were afraid. So much so in verse 17, we learned that Moses had to go bring the people out. Moses brought out the people out of the camp and his intent here, this takes me back to why I believe it's to ascend, to meet God, not to stand at the mountain, to meet God. And or but they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Trumpet sounds, it's time to go. Moses goes and gets them and brings them out. Then verse 18, then Moses brought the people, I'm sorry, 18, when Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Now, not only are the people trembling, the physical mountain is trembling. So I want us to understand, this is a fearful scene. Dark descending smoke, fire, thunders and lightnings people are trembling the mountain begins to shake I don't care I don't care how hot the hot sauce was you got out of there you're also trembling at this moment I don't care how big a boy you are you are trembling when the mountain starts shaking and you're at the base of it. this is a fearful moment for them then verse 19 and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder I don't know how your homes work maybe even growing up but for most homes there's there's a dad who is always ready before everybody else is ready to go somewhere. Has that happened for you? Amen. Yes. 
And he's ready because all he had to do was find his shoes. All he had to do was slip his, he just had to slip his Crocs on and he's ready to go. So what happens is he's like, hey baby, I'm gonna be out in the car. You just come meet me. And she's like, but what outfit do I wear? He's like, I don't care, put one on and then come meet me in the car. So he goes out to the driveway and maybe you're in this house. At some point, dad gives us a signal, doesn't he? And it's that gentle, gracious on the horn. Just a gentle reminder, I'm out here, you're in there. We should be over there, so come on. Let's all get out here. Your makeup looks fine, I love you. Let's get in here. But then, the longer they, she, whatever, the family takes to come out to the car, and moves from a mat mat to a mat. Does that happen at your house? The whole neighborhood knows mama's taking forever. <laughs> then it happens again. Okay, so take that and put this here. God did the trumpet thing, mat, mat, and the people are stuck at the mountain. And so God says, all right, let me send another signal. And so God gives the trumpet louder and louder. So now it's building. So what was once scary is now even scarier. God wants his people to come to him, but they are afraid. They are afraid of, of maybe it's their sin. Maybe it's, they feel like if I step into a church, the whole thing's gonna light up in fire. Listen, we're doing good so far. You've done fine. They don't wanna come to God maybe because of sin, maybe it's because they're afraid of his power. Whatever it is, they refuse to come to him. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. God answers in thunder, it's a little more animated than, hey, it's fine, take your time. This is the frustration of the Lord. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses back up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Now, chapter later, after they get the 10 commandments, you read more about this, but in Deuteronomy, which is actually, Deuteronomy is the second telling, we get a second telling of this very moment. And here's what Moses tells his people to remember this moment in Deuteronomy 5, verse four. You remember how the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. Exodus chapter 20, which is just the next chapter, he tells this, we get another kind of flashback to this moment. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And Moses, they said to Moses, you speak for us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So here's where we have to get this morning. Can it be that there is a holy, intimidating, huge, thundering, thundering voice that shakes the mountains kind of God who also invites us to relationship with him? Can it be that there's a God who is so holy and so powerful and so set apart that he demands perfection and yet he still invites us to come to him? Can that be? Can it be that a God who shakes the mountains, a God who is often fearful to us, a God who scares us and intimidates us, could it be that a God who is that sovereign and that great and that powerful also wants you to join him in the work on this earth? Emphatically, the Bible says, yes, yes. 
This is who God is. He is altogether set apart and he is holy and unlike anything else. And he's invited us into it. And that's just not New Testament God. This is Genesis to Revelation God, that he's invited us in. The problem for us is we've spent way too much time defending one side or the other. So us old school church people, we defended the holiness of God. Like how dare you come in here with ripped up jeans? How dare you? And then those of us on the other side would say, yeah, but Jesus is my homeboy. And so, you know, we're cool. We're cool like that. And God says, neither one of those are in the Bible. I am holy and I am perfect and I am set apart and there's no sin within me and I cannot be with sin. So what I've done is I've given you a way to consecrate yourself that you can come to me because I want both. And here's the truth for you and for me. You want a God like that. You want a God whose voice shakes the heavens. You want a God whose voice sounds like thunder because you're fighting a battle against an enemy and you want a God like that on your side. I don't want a wimpy, squeaky voice God. I want that God. I want the God that I'm not sure I should get that close. He says, yeah, you can trust me, come close. That's what I want. So yes, does God demand perfection? Absolutely. And does God want relationship with broken people like you and me? Absolutely. He always has and he always will. The problem for the Israelites is that God wanted a kingdom of priests, but they became a kingdom with priests. God wanted them to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of 2.1 million people who knew the heart of God. But their fear kept them at a distance. No, 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 we'd rather just have Moses and maybe Aaron and then some of his family. Let's just do it that way. And the good grace of God says, listen, I just wanna be with you. Let's just do that for now then. And I've got a plan for a high priest, but for right now. So the question for us this morning is, which do you want? Do you wanna know the heart of God? Do you want to commune with God? Or do you want professionals to do it for you? What do we want? Because to step forward to God, it's intimidating and it's scary. And if there's sin that you're wrestling with and feeling, yeah, you're gonna run and you're going to hide. Then there's this moment where the trumpet blasts and he calls you to himself and you've got a day of reckoning. What will you do? Will you go to him or will you stand at a distance? Now, for many of us, what's happened in church is that the mountain has become the point, right? It's not about getting to know God. It's just standing at the mountain. And so what the mountain has become for you and and for me maybe has been church, Listen, I'll go to church, but the whole God thing scares me. The whole Holy Spirit thing, reading the Bible, I'm just, but I'll stand at a distance and I'll let Moses speak on my behalf. I'll do that. Please hear me. The whole point of the mountain is the presence of God. That's the whole point. And if you're not a member of our church and you go to some other church, but you don't get God there, you just get the mountain, find somewhere else. You need to meet with God. Moses brought the people out to meet with God. Well, in the New Testament, the author of the book of Hebrews references back to this moment. And he's speaking to Hebrews. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 12. You see, you have not come to what may be touched, a mountain that can be touched, of blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Verse 21, indeed. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion. 
The author of Hebrews is saying, yeah, yeah, that happened. But there's been a shift. And so now Zion, or now Sinai has become Zion, but he continues in verse 24, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You've come to a better Moses, a go-between of a new covenant. The old covenant, God gives them the law. This is the new way we're gonna do business, or the old way to do business. What the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 but it's been better than that. Do you need to be sanctified? Yes. Do you need to be set apart? Absolutely. And the way to do that in the Old Testament was the law. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, but in the New Testament, the way that you consecrate yourself is that you believe that on the third day, Jesus finished the work. Yeah, God wants relationship with you but he cannot be with sin. And so he's given you a path in and the path is Jesus, mediator of a new covenant. The author continues in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Then down to verse 28. So what do we do? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Well, what is acceptable worship? The only acceptable worship to God is worship that's covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you don't know Jesus, listen to me, if you don't know Jesus, you're not following Jesus, and you come in here and you try to pray and sing songs, I need you to hear me, they're not going anywhere. What gets to God is a worship covered in the finished work of Jesus. What gets the ear of God is a prayer covered in the finished work of Jesus. Yes, we do have to consecrate ourselves. This isn't a game we're playing. This is a holy God who demands perfection. But what's happened on the legalistic side is we've gone back to the law to to attain perfection The law has now been carried into Jesus. How do you get to the heart of God? Through the finished work of Jesus. That's how. How do you get back to walking with God in the cool of the day? Through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's how. Because God, from Genesis to Revelation, wants relationship with his people. He wants a kingdom of priests. But instead, you've depended on a pastor or a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad to get you access to God. And they can't because the only high priest is Jesus Christ himself. So can it be that there's a God who is holy and set apart and demands better behavior from us? Absolutely. And is there a God who, in spite of our sin, while we were yet sinners, provided a way to get to him? Yes and amen. So I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe what you need to hear today is that God is holy and set apart and quit playing games. You need to quit. You can't live a lifestyle of sin and think you have the ear of God. And so what's happened is you've built up resentment towards God, but you're just mad at the mountain. You haven't even met God yet. Then there are some of us who stand at a distance thinking that's worship, that's not worship. Get to the heart of God, please. Don't settle. Let's get to the heart of God, a God who has welcomed you into relationship with him. I think it's best summed up by C.S. Lewis in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a character named Aslan, and Aslan is a lion. And Aslan is the God-Christ character in this epic novel. 
And in this, uh, in this book, there's this moment where the little girl Susan is going to meet Aslan. And for most of the journey, she's just pictured Aslan as a human, just like her. And she's talking to talking animals and all these things and part man, part animal. And she has this conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And, and she says, and she hears this, that Aslan is a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. And then she asked this question. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Is God safe? No one said anything about God being safe. We just said that he's good. He's the king. I tell you. So is there a fear of God? There should be. But he's so good that he's welcomed us into relationship with him. That he's walked us into relationship with him. That angst you feel in your heart, the frustration with the way the world is going and the things you can't seem to get right, you know what that is? That's you feeling disconnected from the creator of the universe. That's what that is. And you can try all the things you want to fill that void and quiet that dull murmur of agitation and it won't happen because you weren't created to live that way. You were created to live under the shed blood and finished work of Jesus Christ. And until you get there, that hum will continue. Your soul longs for the garden in the cool of the day with God. That's what your soul longs deeply for. And if you're honest, you'll realize your spouse hasn't done it he hasn't filled the void. She hasn't filled the void. Kids haven't done it. Your job hasn't done it. Finances haven't done it. A good meal hasn't done it because there's only one. It's Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant who gets us back to the garden with God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just think through and ponder this this morning? I don't know where you find yourself today. But I just wonder how many of us this morning have settled for the mountain of God instead of the heart of God. So maybe what needs to happen this morning is you need to repent. Maybe you need to repent of taking God too flippantly, of thinking Jesus is your homeboy. And you need to elevate the holy set-apartness of God in your own heart. Because when you do that, you'll recognize the darkness of the sin you're in. And you can't excuse it away. And you'll recognize it's that sin that's causing every issue you have in your life. And then maybe this morning you've stood at a distance because you're afraid of God. So while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. He's not surprised by your sinfulness. He's invited you in. So I don't know where you find yourself today, where you need to confess and repent. But there is a consecration that must happen before we go to the throne of grace. And that's found in the finished work of Jesus. No matter your brokenness, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, his heart consistently has been to bring the people to meet him. So maybe what you're feeling in the guilt and the frustration, maybe the shame and the anguish is not coming from God. It's coming from something you've heard about him. And here's what we've learned from his word this morning. He wants us. He's provided a way. 
So maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to give your heart to the Lord by admitting your sinfulness before a holy God, the way you are living, although it's better than your neighbor's, sinful. And you call it what it is, it's rebellion against the holy creator God of the universe. And you believe that the finished work of Jesus is enough to grant you access to his peace. And that you believe he gave his son who literally lived, literally died and literally rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death on your behalf. And that you would confess with your mouth and your life that he is Lord. That he shapes the decisions you make, he shapes the way you talk, he shapes the way you treat your spouse and your family and your boss. Salvation is found in the confession, belief, and acceptance of the finished work of Jesus. God, I thank you that you are a God who welcomes people like me to your heart, to your throne. God, I'm thankful for the power you hold, the thunderous voice you have because I have an enemy that I can't defeat without it. So God, for people in the room today, may we become more aware of your holiness, but also more aware of your invitation to broken people like you and me, like us. Make us aware of it. Draw us to your heart today. Thank you for being who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.